this glorious soundtrack that we have. I got to say, every time it plays, everybody's dancing to this damn music except for Roger. I, I just hear bits of it, dude. I don't. It doesn't come through. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's I know, sad, Roger. We had a great band put it together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome everybody to the House of X. Book Factor Club. Three. That's right, Factor. That's a great band name. Uh, it would be. Yes, K-pop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, as I was saying, I'm Rob, host of the House of X Book Club. And with me tonight, we've got Raj. What's up, kids? That sure beats your last introduction. Well, um, you know, <laughs> I go with what I'm feeling. There you go. Okay. Even if you do have to script it first. Yeah. And uh, we've, got, we've got with us Rowan. Hello. And Shane, of course. Welcome listeners of all ages, not just the children Roger is planning to give ice cream to later. Oh. Hey. <laughs> and we've got Drew. How's it going, dude? Hello, fellow olds. Yeah. <laughs> so we're covering a couple of... Uh, comics tonight one of which is not an x-men book you know you guys are talking about kids and everybody of all uh, we needed to include the geriatrics that's right <laughs> i i'd like to think that there's some really old people listening to us yeah us you know like, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of guys are like you remember reading the x-men and the other guy's like yeah i was 10 and so were they you know uh, but <laughs> Now get the so, nurse to change my diaper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to be reading Daredevil, talking about no, uh, Daredevil number 14 tonight and X-Men number 29. And Daredevil 14 is going to wrap up, yeah, that three-part story of the Daredevil versus... Uh, it seems like the Daredevil versus Kazar, because why not? Let's have Kazar and the Daredevil fight each other for some reason. Um but Daredevil, Kazar, and Plunderer. Uh, <laughs> Speaking and, of that, right before we get too far into it, I have yeah. to say that on this, on the first page of this book, before we start digging in too much, Kazar kind of looks like Matt Murdock. He looks more like Matt Murdock than his brother. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> his brother kind of looks like Andre the Giant. Oh, this is the story is called If This Be Justice. And it came out January 4th, 1966. Uh, the date on it is March 66, written by Stan Lee, pencils by the wonderful John Romita, and inks by Frankie Ray. And I got to say, Rowan pointed this one out, that John Romita usually inked himself this early on. And so it was interesting that Frank Ray actually did the inks instead of John. Did a bang up job, I have to did, say. Indeed, yeah. Bang up job for sure. Uh, lettering by Artie Simic and editing, of course, by Stan Lee. So, of course, this is the third issue. Um, people are still wondering why on earth we're covering Daredevil. It's I, I want to ask Shane. So what do you think, Shane, about us covering the, these issues of Daredevil? Um, well, I um, if we if you go back to one of the early episodes of the podcast, I believe that well, it was mentioned during the podcast, right? We were asking what else was going on in the Marvel universe yeah. at the time that the X-Men stuff was going on. And that kind of spurred and was the inspiration to, you know, kind of 
leaning into reading some of the other books that were going right. on in and around the stories that we're reading. Yeah. And I specifically chose this story because of Kazar himself. Now, how relevant do you think Kazar is to the X-Men universe? I think at this time he wasn't as relevant as he becomes later. But he does become relevant. He becomes more relevant to the X-Men. And at some point he's pretty key to the X-Men when there's there's an ex they spend an extended time in the Savage Land. And you know, I guess they're they're at his goodwill. Mm -hmm. Even though he said, You go now. Yes. Never come back. Never come back. <laughs> they did anyway. He'll come back. So every time he turns around, they give the finger to the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> um now you're a fan of of Kazar, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But even still, like I didn't, I had not read any of the really old stuff. I just thought I thought he was a really cool character. The way they used him in the books in the '80s and the '90s was really fun. He yeah. was, you know, it. But you know, kind of getting to the the origin, um, especially like I didn't know about Lord Plunder, um, and him being his brother. I they mm -hmm. they used him later on, but they didn't really mention the 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 connection was not laid on quite as thick right. as it was back in the in the original books. Right. Um now I got to like Kazar not just because of his connection to the X-Men in the eighties and nineties. Um or I should say more yeah, I guess the eighties and nineties. But the thing that really made me want to read more Kazar was do you remember who Kazar's main villain was? His main <laughs> villain, like the bad guy of Kazar's book in the 70s and 80s, I guess, was Velasco. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, and and sorry. Velasco, of course, becomes a huge X-Men villain. Right. Starting with the kidnapping of uh, Ilyana Rasputin and turning her into the uh, the character Magic, you know. Um, he's Wait, the there's a character just called Magic? Yes. Yep. Yes. All right. Um she's a badass. <laughs> like 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 she could she like if 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 she really wanted to push it, she could take out Doctor Strange. She could. That's There's... like naming a character warlock. Or or mutant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um there is a great what if where magic becomes sorcerer supreme. Um but yeah, so Belasco was Kazar's main bad guy in some of the Kazar books. And so Kazar and, and the devil. Yeah. And Belasco is one of my most favorite villains. If you ask me who my favorite hero is, I'll say Magneto. If you ask me who my favorite villain is, it, it's Belasco. I thought I was your favorite villain. <laughs> There's always a spot in my heart for you, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the infamous pirate, the plunderer, has damaged, has dragged Daredevil and he's dragged his brother, Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, back to London, where he plans to get Kazar's half of a mysterious mystical medallion. So he has half, Kazar has half, and if he gets them both together, he could take over the world. The guy that gets the medallion, I think, is the butler, right? Isn't it the yeah. butler who takes the medallion? Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't even mm -hmm. the it wasn't even the butler. It was one of the it was just one of the dudes that the butler reached out to. That's it. So the oh, butler yeah, yeah. calls all the vill all the bad guys in town and says, "Gotta get this medallion." And then, and then I think you even brought up last time we talked about this. Like he's just expecting them to to help him. Yeah, you know. Well, it's weird. They had this weird like underground network of 
evil secret gurus. agents just waiting to be activated or something. Yeah. So Fiefers, it's really kind of hard for me to say. Fiefers yeah. is the name <laughs> of the butler, the bad guy who's going to try to double cross the plunderer. This guy gets the medallion, calls Fiefers and says, I got the medallion. I'll bring it to you. Meanwhile, the plunderer, of course, catches on that Fiefers is trying to double cross him and he threatens him. And when that guy shows up with the medallion, Fiefers is whining, no, my lord, it's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I Please, I didn't do anything wrong. And then the guy shows up with the medallion and a gun, and Fiefers is like, now shoot him, shoot him. And of course, the plunderer, who is a, an expert fighter, just does a weird little backflip out of the way, and the guy ends up shooting Fiefers. Rest in peace, Fiefers. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, uh, the police have been called by the plunderer because he's hold on framed. yeah I, I i gotta do this dude the plunderer is one of the worst goddamn names i have ever seen i mean it sounds like a bad sexual predator name doesn't it it just, it just screams bad a guy, plunderer i'm here well, to plunder you, got, you. Yeah. i mean what you the got f- the plunderer and feepers <laughs> it was a man made in just, heaven there's a sex was... crime waiting to happen in <laughs> it's just and like, that's, isn't that his last name isn't his last name plunder so he's yeah. the plunderer yeah. lord plunder yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the cops show up, right? And Plunder basically says, "Yeah, uh, this this savage man and daredevil killed my my buddy, and uh, you need to take him to jail." And Daredevil's like, "Nope, I don't think so, buddy." He takes off, and he thinks to himself, "I've got to make sure Kazar's okay." But right now, the cops have him. I'm gonna call my friend uh, Foggy Nelson, and uh, and. And Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm sorry, no. Uh, <laughs> who is she? What is what is uh, uh, Karen? Karen, yes, Karen Page. So you know they can they can represent Kazar, the Lord of the Jungle. In yes, English, they have no idea what's going on. Just... English court of law. <laughs> yeah. Just, yes, they like, right. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what's going on. No, no, no clue as to the rules and regulations of an international court system. But I'm yeah, sure they're. Law license will apply, yes. Hey, <laughs> they just have to stand up for him and say, we believe in him. We um, believe. <laughs> yeah, so Daredevil escapes because really he's got to stop the plunder. He's got to take him down. And uh, the plunder in, in this scene, because there's a really good fight between him and the Daredevil. And and even when he dodges the bullet that, that ultimately kills Peepers, he literally like bends over backwards to not get hit by that bullet and, and does some great flip kick. I mean, he is in top physical condition, this guy. And it looks like he could probably even take Daredevil down a little bit. Uh, I so. think that you're missing out on his real superpower, though, is his amazing sewing ability to be able to assemble that many costumes so oh, quickly. Yes. So, right. So he does this thing when he gets the the medallion and talks about, you know, he's going to use it. Okay, first of all, let me just say that when he talked up this medallion the last two issues, this medallion is supposed to help him take over the world, right? (laughs) And he's like, with this medallion, I can crack open the safe that holds the magical ore that will help me take over the world. Wait. You're telling me that it's not the the medallion that'll help you take over the world, but the medallion opens the safe that allows you to take over the world? To remove the plunder stone. Yeah. Yes. This strange (laughs) vibrating metal. 
what shall I call it? The Plunderstone. It was at that precise moment that I realized that James Cameron is this generation Stan Lee. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, An Optinium. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> fucking stupid. <laughs> wow. Um, so Plunder goes to, be to, sad. <laughs> Plunder goes to, be sad. to talk about this Plunder Stone, and it's this ore that his father had discovered, and it sure sounds like an awful lot like, uh, you know, vibranium. Um, but he uses it to create a weapon called the Vibro Ray, and, and what the Vibro Ray does is it can destroy any weapon, yeah, mm -hmm. any weapon. Uh, and then, like Shane said, he busts out with his home ex skills and <laughs> makes a bunch of really ridiculous costumes. And and he tells his buddies, you're no longer pirates. Now you're my my super army. And and with these weapons, we'll take over the world. And they're just basically ray guns, you know, that mm. vaporize tanks and Oh. I will have to say that that Lord Plunder did make the smart move and gave himself the only championship belt out of everyone in yes. the in the in yeah. the faction. These are such beautiful pro wrestling uniforms. Yeah, um, yeah, they, yeah. Lucha Underground. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, the Lucha <laughs> Underground. I mean, he's even got like the 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 big cowl, you know, the big like or collar or whatever that is on his cape. Um. It's it's pretty sweet. Thunderlips uh, in the flesh, baby. <laughs> his costume um, reminds me of Adam Strange's costume. Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's total luchador gimmick right there. It's like <laughs> that's El Destructo. El Destructo. Well, the Daredevil decides that he's going to knock out one of one of uh, Plunderer's boys, heal his costume, and then kind of sneak in and join the ranks so that he can take them out from within. Just and... by not looking at the Plunderer. Yes. <laughs> That's his grand disguise. I'm not going to look at it. These costumes are skin tight. And I was like, did he just happen to pick someone that was shaped like he is? Yeah. Well, Spandex is very stretchy. Yeah. <laughs> And and Plunder didn't notice that, you know, now Jeff doesn't seem to have any boys. He's just. <laughs> and he keeps walking into rocks. <laughs> go, go through the jungle. <laughs> also, if you look at, so in these costumes, you these all, all these guys have eyes, but Daredevil is the one guy in this costume that does not have eyes. That is why he'd be recognized. Wait, is Daredevil wearing his mask underneath under his the mask costume. yeah of course <laughs> you know that way nobody will know who it's who he is <laughs> but the little horns aren't sticking up yeah because they're <laughs> fabric and you can fold them down um so they go on to fight you know they go on to fight all kinds of people like for one they leave london they go to like i want to say it's a missile base in the north atlantic yep and they fight these guys and they're destroying their weapons and and it's I think it's a it's kind of a neat scene um where they are just plowing through these guys until they realize 
that the one thing these weapons can't defeat is is plastic, right? So yeah. they're like, yeah, okay, well, now all we need to do is get plastic weapons and you guys are done for. The nebulous time in this issue kind of confused me. It yeah, tell because, me about that. Because that because one by the they're in the middle of the fight and a soldier runs up and punches plunder and says the plastic weapons are on the way. Yeah. And and meanwhile, Foggy and Karen have flown to the UK and gone to the courthouse. And this this all seems to have happened within like the space of hours. Mm-hmm. And they do talk about it being like Daredevil mentioned something about it being a couple of months. <laughs> At the end of the issue, yeah. 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 It's like, but but like all through the whole issue, I'm like, this is just a a day or two. So that there was one dude in the group that refused to look at the plunderer for a couple of months. And no one (laughs) thought that was weird at all. Because they'll notice that he's got no boys and his eyes are white. Um, Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. It's crazy. Well, of course, the Daredevil Daredevil, and the military defeats the Plunderer and his, his you know, army of bad guys. Um, and what I find really funny is that there's just like a mere suggestion of how, you know, now that you're caught, you should probably tell him everything. And the Plunderer's like, yeah, okay. So Kazar's my brother, and he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't kill that guy. I, I, I just that it was him like boy he he cracked real easy you know <laughs> just it just folded right up man um so plunder is not going to go down in history as being one of the biggest best villains um no i think i think even fevers was tougher than him um, this issue will go down in history as the first time we've seen two uses of a cape as a weapon in the same issue Ooh, that's right. Well, okay, I know the one, and it is he uses a cape against Daredevil. Right, he uses a cape against Daredevil, and then later on, um, Daredevil uses his luchador cape against the Plunderer. Ah, okay. Yeah, Plunderer pulls cape action. He pulls kind of this uh, matador thing where he swirls it around and wraps it around Daredevil, and because it's swirling, it throws Daredevil's senses off. Yes, anything counterclockwise is going to mess up the Daredevil's groove. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure Banshee could take Daredevil. I I think you might be right about that. I feel like if Foggy really wanted to get Matt Murdock out of the way, he would break into his apartment and rearrange his furniture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He'd just go in there and trip <laughs> over everything, and then Karen would be his. Too bad he doesn't know the X-Men, because he could say... So I understand you know something about getting rid of teammates that are into the girls you're liking. (laughs) (laughs) Or you just ask Professor X to wipe his mind. Oh, flashy flashy thing, the professor, please. Um, And then you've got free legal for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) That would be worth it, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) For Professor Xavier specifically, that's well worth it. We know he's going to need help later. Um. I feel like that cover of this uh, this issue is really cool and and sci-fi looking. You know, we've known the Plunderer to be kind of like this piratey kind of guy, but here he is again dressed as a luchador. It's a total like classic sci-fi cover, though. Um, 
there's like ray beams vaporizing tanks and i think it's cool it's not what i expected for for like a daredevil uh cover but it's it's kind of neat there's a lot of and if i had if this had been the 80s and there was a two-part story and then this cover popped up after it you thought there was supposed to be a third part? I'd be like, oh, no, there's a filler issue right in the middle of the story, just like in the cross time <laughs> yeah. caper. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Um, wait, 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 this isn't even part seven of 14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there was some there was some strange things going on in this one again. Daredevil was complaining how exhausted he was and how his, oh, I could barely move my legs. But apparently his arms worked fine. So just his lower half was tired because apparently Stan Lee does not understand how the human body works. The odd thing, like he called the um, called Daredevil the masked swinger when he starts, you know, using his his um, billy clubs as, as a traveling mechanism. And I was like, I don't think Stan was out after 9 p.m. in New York much because he has no idea what a masked swinger is. <laughs> a whole other thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing was like, I don't recall like in the modern books, the daredevil traveling via baton nearly as often as he did in these three issues. Hmm. I don't know about that. You know, I think he did though. I think, I think it was a, the way he got around. Um, you know, he can't take a cab. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess maybe it was like kind of an implied thing. It wasn't uh, like something that took you. up, it, it wasn't something that took up multiple panels. Yeah. Well, back when Kevin Smith was writing and Joe Casada was doing the artwork, there was like the Spider-Man thing, like Spider-Man's webbing, how it would go all different direction. Mm. But when Kevin Smith and Casada did Daredevil, his, his Billy Club opened up with that cable spun around like Spider-Man's webbing. <laughs> and so there, there was a lot of that. They showed that. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I just don't think it, it was like as much of a focus. Yeah. Like, I don't right. think it was like something that, that, that was like a, a plot device. It was just yeah, like, like, that's what he's doing. Kind of like Batman with his grappling gun. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's just, it's just there. You don't really ever think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? You guys? Well, I, for one think that daredevil in a two piece is a great idea. You know, all of the heroes are doing this. I'm all upholstered look. But, you know, on page six, when he's like, if I'd been a second slower, I'd be wearing a two piece costume. Man, Matt Murdock should rock that daredevil bikini. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 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 down for the I'm down for the the small top and the washboard abs all the way. (laughs) Nice. Of course, he was talking about getting cut in half, but. (laughs) <laughs> if we're just talking about style choice <laughs> absolutely how about you guys what uh raj drew roan what do you think the um, costumes were pretty hokey and cheesy um yeah clearly you've never watched lucha libre <laughs> they're pretty I have tame seen, <laughs> i have seen it but it's still hokey <laughs> <laughs> overall the plotting and and story were pretty typical for this time period but it was decent it probably could have been two issues, really. Yeah. But, I mean, it was all right. There was a lot of action, which I liked. Romita's art was pretty good. I noticed a few panels where he kind of cut corners and left simple backgrounds, but that's probably just the time time frame he was up against. 
like on page 10, there's a couple panels where it's just a red background, but I think that that's just to enforce the fact that, that, that plunderer is doing evil. I think sometimes when they're writing these characters that are supposed to be disabled, they can be kind of ableist. Like they don't know. I mean, and I don't know, you know, but here's this blind guy and Karen says something to Matt that shows affection. And he thinks like, Oh, only if she, she only meant it. Right. And, you know, and, and, and it, and it contextually, it has to do with, you know, with him, you know, and, uh, and it's always written like that. It's always written like, Oh, because of my thing, you know, you know, Charles does it, Xavier, you know, does it in the, in the X-Men and Matt does it in, in Daredevil. There's always this, Oh, because of my thing, how can, I be loved basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, 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 it's ableist. It's basically, that's what it, that is. And, um, and I, and I know it's supposed to be something that's elicit sympathy from the reader, but it's ultimately condescending. Yeah. It's just kind of a, a, a trigger to indicate drama. Yeah. Like, but I don't think it's like that they don't know what would be will real drama. Because I think the real drama is the fact that Karen appears to have a serious coke habit. Because <laughs> she's always constantly wide-eyed with her eyebrows up, like somebody just went boo right off a of panel before she started talking. I get what I get what you're saying though, Rowan. I feel like mm-hmm. there's just a lot. Uh, every they do it consistently. It, Daredevil has almost the exact same personal issues about his eyes that Cyclops does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's almost word for word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. So I mean it's it it's like they're not really aware of what it's like to look like you said a few issue episodes ago, it's like they're not aware of what it's like to live with anything, any sort of challenges in life. And so the assumption is that it must be terrible. And so we'll write from that viewpoint that it's terrible and I'm unlovable. Then that's the and that's the track they take. Well, he's gotta overcome that at the end. Right. As opposed to maybe, gosh, maybe talking to someone who has that condition and asking (laughs) them, you know, what is it like? (laughs) But then Stan would have to leave the office. Right. He can't do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, the reason you're unlovable might be because you stay out till three o'clock in the morning punching the eel in the taint. That's gonna be a, that's gonna be a bigger (laughs) issue than your inability to see. Or just maybe writing from the perspective of all the awesomeness that the character is in addition to the to these other qualities how about your thoughts drew as we wrap up um i don't know this this one it wasn't bad i i agree with roger though like if if this had been a two-parter i think it it would have made a stronger arc this really was not a good finale for the trilogy it would have been better as two but I mean, it, it was a it was a fine standalone comic. Well, we're gonna move into hopefully some better things. Uh, although, you know, I did I did like this issue of Daredevil. I mean, I I have always liked the Daredevil, and you know, it's the '60s, the things that he says, the the costumes. There's a lot of comic books, a lot of things in comic books that are cheesy and hokey. So that's just I think par for the course. 
but uh, X Men twenty nine. Well, and one of the things oh, well. that we do have to remember, but before we move yes. move into the X Men, is remember even even with the way these are being written here, at least it's not DC where Lois Lane is trying to marry the door to door rhubarb salesman <laughs> this month and <laughs> to make Superman jealous. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Good point. <laughs> good point. So yes, X Men number twenty nine. Um, when Titans Clash came out December eighth, nineteen sixty six. They claim it's February sixty seven. Roy Thomas wrote it. Warner Roth penciled it. John Tartaglione did the inking. Sam Rosen did the lettering, and of course, Stanley edited When Titans Clash. So I was going back to fill in some holes in my collection of the early nineties. And this is the first comic from the 1960s that I ever owned. Okay. Um, mine wow, man, was... that cover would have made me not want to buy any other books <laughs> from the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the X-Men and it was an old book and it definitely was a hole that I had that I was interested in filling. So um, it was slightly tattered. There was lightly browned pages. And to me, it was, it was gold. I was stoked about this <laughs> book. Um, I was into the characters, of course. I I always like characters that sh change their shapes or were able to copy other people's powers. Um, and and these two guys on the cover, they to me this whole image was just really cool. So, um, so in this issue, while the team is off doing some ice skating <laughs> on a nearly frozen lake. Near the, <laughs> near the Xavier Mansion, Cyclops takes time to brood. Okay, um, this this I think Drew said it best when he said Cyclops is a bitch. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was Drew that said that. Maybe it was Ron. Yeah. I think maybe I think all, I think we've that. all probably said that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so Warren and Gene are ice skating. Beast and Iceman are ice skating. Of course, Iceman is lousy at ice skating. Um, don't get me started on that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think later I want to. Um, <laughs> and, I was uh, kind of expecting Mimic to hook that skate at the back of Bobby's head. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at, at any rate, Warren is like, "Come on, Gene, let's couple skate." And she's like, "Sure. You want to come, Scott?" Uh, which kind of to me says, "Scott, dude, go for it." But. Scott's like, no, I intentionally I left. I intentionally left my skates at the at the mansion so that I could go off and brood a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I he mean, moved. Off. We touched on this already, but Jean Grey is sitting on the tree in that skirt in the winter uh, in the snow. <laughs> women's underpants are not going to provide any kind of protection from that bark of that I tree. Tell you, as short as. That. As short as her skirt is, would it's you really just like to know? Are we going to get into that right now, Roger? That same arc, though. <laughs> no. Look at look at Warren's position. He uh -huh. has got a full view of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that little mini skirt. Yeah. yeah. And according to the Beverly Hillbillies, they're hitched now. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, all it would take is a sneeze for Professor X, and that that skirt is up. You know, it's. <laughs> It's it's quite unfortunate. The you know, I don't know. This is it's not just romance style artwork. This is like male gaze. Let's 
put the the young girl in a sexy little skirt yeah. while she's skating on ice. You know, I that's guess not... they thought put her in an ice skating outfit, which that's, that's not even but a that's... mini skirt though. It's like a micro skirt. Yeah, no, this I is, agree. This, I mean, this is I, like some Olympic I level nonsense. To that outfit. <laughs> it's like a band aid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so of course, like I said, Cyclops goes off to brood. He he actually is doing something kind of cool here. At least I think it's interesting. Is that he is trying to hone his powers. Is he? Well, yeah, that's what he says. So he is like, apparently, I subconsciously held back when I shot my uh, my optic blast at Angel, and and which means that I could hold back my power. So let me try that now. And he opens his eyes, and and of course it's stronger than ever. And so he's like, "It doesn't work!" Ah! And he gets all, he gets all angry. Well, he makes a comment about how nothing will keep him from the girl that he loves. I will smash anyone who tries, you know. And and then he just blasts that optic blast, hits a mountain, starts an avalanche. Good job, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this doesn't seem to get anybody's attention, which I think is really weird. Yeah, that, well, you yeah. would think that he didn't wander that far off. The little avalanche. And there was um, some, this thing, that not only that, but this sequence brought up some questions for me. Like, because he's talking about how his, his eyelids didn't even used to be able to hold back his rays, right? But yeah. does that mean that he his eyelids got, like, blasted off? And he was, he's able to like, he's got like a very specific regenerative power where he can regrow his eyelids. <laughs> and then I that, think he that just opens his eyes because of it. You know, he just can't, it's just a can't super callous. He can never close his eyes. Okay. <laughs> but then, like, that, then that brought up the question is I don't think they've ever actually explained how his glasses work. They just say the Ruby Quartz glasses stop the beams. Wow. Are they refracting the beams so that they just kind of waft off into the air as like some harmless microwaves making everyone no, they bounce them back so he shoots himself in the face and yeah, the, his eyes are open? Because those are the only two options, right? He's yeah. either constantly shooting himself in the face or he or it's dispersing it and just making everyone that walks in front of him sterile. I've always assumed, and I know I know nothing about these glasses, but I've always assumed that they are like the same color as they basically they they align the frequencies and they're they're polarized somehow so that as it's aligning the light the light wave frequency of it it kind of just disperses it into just visible light like normal light that's always been my assumption with this glasses it's the only way wow. it makes sense to me yeah well let's see that doesn't work if you know anything about color theory all that would do is act as a filter and it would allow only that frequency through yeah that's so that's the beam true. would be on constantly so they mm -hmm. actually have to be at a different frequency to to stop it. It would have right. to be at like a a green frequency or something. Right. I, I don't know. So that that brings up another point. It's not a laser. It's a concussive force blast. But, uh, it depends changes. on how they want to use it. Sometimes yeah, that, it is a laser. That's right. That changes throughout time. At yeah. sometimes sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's just force. Sometimes it's yeah. some kind of I don't want to say plasma, but sometimes it's it's some kind of energy, you know. 
So it it's... and sometimes he can fire it into a rocket nonstop and just have yeah. Professor X guide him a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, and <laughs> yeah. not just completely shred the inside of a bomb. At any rate. He fires at this mountain and there's an avalanche. And yeah, we would think that it would alert a lot of people. However, the only thing that the only thing that happens is rock slide, rock slide. And he dodges the rocks. But inside the mountain is apparently an old bunker from the Revolutionary War. And (laughs) and and inside that thing is the super adaptoid. Yeah. And the super adaptoid is an android who has the power of powers of four Avengers. This this yes. just made me realize that that this is how it was so easy for the ogre and Banshee to figure out where the X Men lived. When they live in the secret lair district, it's gonna <laughs> be really easy to think. I mean, the super adaptoid has set up shop right next to where the X Men live. Because they're just skating on the pond out behind the mansion, right? Yeah, yeah. I assume this is still part of Xavier's property. Yeah. You know? Um so yeah. so the super adaptoid is squatting on Professor Xavier's land in a yeah. civil war bunker, apparently he didn't know he had. Now the super adaptoid is like I said, is an android, but he's not he has like a personality. And he's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Somebody attacking me? And then he he starts to get up and throw down, and then he's like, "Oh, maybe it's just some kind of, maybe it's just some kind of natural occurrence." But he decides to go investigate, and what happens is, is he sees. By this time, all the X Men are like, "All right, we're going in. Uh, we'll see you." And Ice Man's like, "Well, yeah, I'm just gonna try to learn to skate better, I guess." So they take off and they leave him on the ice. Ice Man's like, "Okay, if I turn into Ice Man, I can slide on the ice better than if I were Bobby." drake on ice skate so he he does and the super adaptive i think i think that drew may have something to interject it's just so fucking stupid (laughs) god damn his name is Iceman. why the hell is he wearing ice skates he can create ice skates like what are you (laughs) doing bobby you're Iceman. and why aren't you transforming in front of the x-men who know you're Iceman? like if you're going to transform just do it in front of your homies right It's, ah, it's so so here, here's the thing that happens to me when I go out in the wintertime in the snow. I get cold. And do you know what I do? I put on warm clothes. Bobby could literally turn into the thing that makes people cold and not be cold. But he puts on warm clothes instead. <laughs> so, and then straps ice skates to his feet and he doesn't know skates. how to use them. Yeah. And you're literally that's your whole freaking thing. You're Iceman, the most unoriginal name ever. Your only thing is ice and you can't fucking ice skate. Yeah. What? Well, he you know, he learns this. So he takes off his clothes and he puts on his boots and his little underwear. And that, okay, so this is right here. This the underpants. Um <laughs> <laughs> I I it was this issue when I realized that the underpants <laughs> were a costume and not just something that he did with ice to to hide to hide <laughs> yeah. his shame because when he first said i'm glad i brought along my x-men threads i was like you mean the fucking boots because <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're wearing but then it's like the oh well i mean i guess the underpants are are uh, are a costume but, yeah. but because yeah i just always thought that that was something he did with the ice did, did anyone else the think that he had a cost i thought 
because we talked I always about, thought he was wearing shorts. Yeah. We, no, we we've talked about this. We've we talked about how we thought he mistaken. shaped those from the ice. I, I think we've all I've always marveled at his shorts. Like, how does that happen? Yes. I just figured it was his tidy whiteies. That's all but I you honestly can't, thought you can't, you can't just have tidy whiteies, as we have seen. Any clothing that he wears, it freezes breaks, and shatters. Yeah, freezes. So he might Reed, 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 Reed Richards must have made him some special underpants at some I think, point. I think they're magnetized. That's, that's it. It's <laughs> actually that's that's all just his ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> that's right. Oh. Ice cream pants. Giraffes love them. <laughs> so the so Iceman, of course, takes off his clothes, puts on his costume, and decides to go skating around his Iceman. And it works. Like a pro. Um, yeah, like a pro. I mean, he does Damn like it. some really cool moves. <laughs> Super Daptoid shows up behind him and makes a comment, makes a noise, and Iceman turns around. And before the Super Daptoid can do anything, he the, the ice that he's standing on collapses and he sinks into the water. And it surprises him. Whoa, this this clear material is breaking beneath my weight. And, you know, he takes a plunge. Well, Iceman is like, I'm out. This is too much. And he ices up what's left of the uh, the adaptoid and he takes off and of course he goes to tell his friends and his friends don't believe that he just saw a 10 foot green android on the ice at the lake because that is ridiculous <laughs> they've, they've never had any instances where they've had to fight random creatures out of nowhere it makes no sense that they didn't believe him I love what he says too. Maybe I was daydreaming. Yes, you daydreamed a ten foot tall green robot, ten foot tall green robot falling through the ice and trying to attack you, dude. That's called a hallucination. The the peyote has kicked in, sir. (laughs) So the adaptoid does a little monologuing at some point, and he talks about how his primary goal was to kill Captain America. And that he has done that. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. I had a secondary goal, too. What was it? Oh, yeah. AIM, the group known as AIM, created me to created me to turn people into adaptoids and therefore create a race that I could rule. And so I guess I'll do that since I've already killed Captain America. Of course, thank you to Stan's little editorial boxes that Drew hates so much. Uh, we know that <laughs> We know that this is a thing that happened. And of course, Captain America didn't die. Um, I have to say that I appreciated the fact that there was a reference to which comic book it was in. And it was, but it was very short and concise too. It wasn't, by the way, y'all, y'all need to go and check out this comic book because there was some happen. I spilled jelly on my copy, but I wiped (laughs) it off with a pink napkin and now it's okay. (laughs) Now, whenever I want to taste jelly, I lick the cover of Tales to Astonish 84. And that is 100% the difference between a good editorial box and a bad one. The the flavor of the jelly? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, man. Oh, shit. Oh, Oh. Shane, oh, <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> you 
made me laugh. So I, I, I like was not making a sound, but I'm silently <laughs> laughing over here and I have a cramp in my neck because I was laughing so hard. Oh man, I'm in tears. That is hysterical. <laughs> Oh, goddamn jelly. <laughs> oh. I mean, he was just reading from the from the editorial <laughs> box. <laughs> oh. Yeah, when no. the editorial comments take up an entire panel on their own, <laughs> it's getting to be out of hand. Yeah, it happened. I mean, it took up a whole half a page one time. Yeah, we know. Um, I'm never going to see those editorial pan uh, boxes the same way. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to laugh every time I see one now. The one that, uh, the ones that really get me is like when Stan calls the reader Pussycat and he yeah. does it a lot. Or but he like he all he always like puts in a pet name for the readers and he loves to yeah. loves to call us Tiger or Pussycat. I just want to say right. you don't know me, Stan. Right. Yeah, I think I actually had a note for one of the um issues. Like I I wish Stan would stop calling me Pussycat. I feel like at any moment I will wake up in his basement with no shirt on, drinking <laughs> wine out of Philly jars. <laughs> and then something bad will happen. <laughs> uh Shane, I think you have some issues, my friend. <laughs> Today on a very special episode of the House of X Book Club. <laughs> okay. So the uh, super adaptoid oh, is going to try to go do his secondary goal, which is turn people into adaptoids and take over the world. Now, this comes up as being important later, but the super adaptoid talks about how he can only do this if the people are willing. What the hell? I mean, who's going to be willing? Yes, turn me into one of your adaptoid robots. That sounds great. Go for it. Well, we'll get to that. So... Meanwhile, the X-Men have uh, moved on, and of course, uh, the Mimic is talking some shit. His arrogance has gotten out of hand, and uh, like I said earlier, Professor X has always seen good in the Mimic, and it's always like, even though he's a jerk, and Professor X is like, I know he's cocky, I know he's headstrong, I know, but there's some good in him. You know, I, I'm honestly convinced that the only reason he likes the mimic so much is because he's not a little bitch like Cyclops and Professor <laughs> Xavier is tired of Cyclops. I think that as far as the writing went back in 1966, everything that the characters know and think, we see it on the page. So we don't get to go, we don't get to think, what was Cyclops really thinking when he said that? I mean, we know what he was really thinking. Now, today's writing, today's writing standards, you can't believe what you read because those guys have so many secrets. And, it, you know, it's like, what was Mr. Sinister really thinking? What was Apocalypse thinking when he decided to join the X-Men? You know, it's, I don't know. They're, the writers aren't thinking that far ahead or they're not even putting their head into it that much when they write these books. But... I think the I think the mimic's a nice trait. <laughs> <laughs> one of the thing, one of the things about this fight though that really surprised me though is when they get into it with the mimic, and Angel grabs him by the wings. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just, I was like, it seemed to me that someone who had wings wouldn't attack yeah. that feature on someone else. Yeah, it's like being in a scrap and you know not to punch the guy in the crotch. <laughs> You're like, okay. Uh, that that's too far. It definitely felt like a dirty trick. Well, Xavier is like, you know what? It's funny. So he, they start arguing, and Cyclops is like, "Hey, Professor, you want me to take him down a peg?" 
And he's like, no, we shouldn't fight amongst ourselves. But the mimic's like, screw that. Come on. And so he picks the fight. And then Xavier's like, well, I can't really stop them. I have to let them do this on their own. Boys will be boys. Yeah. That was some bullshit. I, I think you can stop them, Professor Xavier. You've Isn't done it enough. Mind wipe them. Just flashy thing them all, you know? Um. So he... <laughs> Yeah, so they get into the fight, and Xavier finally loses his shit. This is the first time you've seen him mad. Like, he's had all kinds of stuff happen to him, but he gets mad and is like, stop it, all right? You're off the team. You're out. And it's so serious that even the X-Men are like, ooh, Professor Mad. (laughs) (laughs) They they just turn into Kazar. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, no, this is serious. We should go play football. Bald yeah. man angry. <laughs> Bald man mad. Um, so yeah, they go play football. And while well, they're because that's what you do when the professor's mad and you want to stay out of his way. <laughs> so they're playing football when suddenly a giant hand come out comes out of nowhere. I mean, not really out of nowhere. It's attached to a 10-foot green robot. Yes, but <laughs> the super super adaptoid doesn't do anything out of nowhere. Yeah. I think these kids all have brain damage from all the mind wiping. They're like that. They all all suffered from temporary blindness at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like that hand. Where'd it come from? Well, it was attached (laughs) to the arm that belonged to the 10 foot green robot, apparently. (laughs) And uh, he catches the football and then, and then they're like, Oh my God, Bobby wasn't joking. This is a real 10 foot green robot. And, uh, and, you know, he tells them, I'm going to turn you into adaptoids. And they're like, yeah, we don't think so, which kind of irks him because, you know, you got to be a willing participant to be turned into an adaptoid. So he's like, fine, I'll destroy you. Well, Consent remember, is important, Rob. It Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so remember the Mimic got kicked off the X-Men and he's he's going to go throw a tantrum. And uh, just when he decides to go back and tell him what for, uh, he sees the mimic, or he sees the uh, super adaptoid. And the super adaptoid, he says, hey, you could turn me into one of your robots. That sounds great. Because that's, I mean, he, yeah, that's the mimic, right? I I think he's thinking I can take out the X-Men if I can't be with them, you know? And I'll ally myself with this 10-foot green robot with a big hand. Um, and together they can rule the world. He even says something like, yeah, I thought about taking over the world at first, but you know, now that you mention it, I, I, I'll give it another try. And, uh, and so they do. And mimic starts, starts to become transformed by the power of the super adaptoid. Cyclops is around and he tells him, no, stop. He's trying to turn you into a mindless slave. And that's when Mimic's like, hey, wait, what? <laughs> okay, I changed my mind. I don't want to be an adaptoid. And then, of course, the Mimic sa- or the uh, super adaptoid says, then I'm going to destroy you. And that is when the Mimic becomes the hero that he was always meant to be. Mimic fights the super adaptoid and defeats him. And if I remember correctly, because now it's been a few days since I read this, uh, there is a... The, the super adaptoid cannot actually, like, he, it dawns on him. All I have to do is trace your physicality, your physical being, and I can adapt your powers. 
which will give me all the powers of the X-Men. What a great idea. Why didn't I think of that before? And he tries to do that, and there's this weird feedback loop that causes problems with him, and it shorts out his powers. Am I, am I, on, am I on, on board? Yeah, yep. it's, it's yep. irresistible electrical backlash. Yes. And, uh, and that ends the super adaptoid, basically. And the mimic is like, yeah, I'm glad you guys are okay. I didn't want you to die. I'm sorry I was a jerk. I was uh, coming back to kill you, but let's not talk about that. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> and he so you know, he, he says, I grew up. I'm I'm a man now. Yeah, he did say that. <laughs> he discovered the power of friendship. That's Except for nobody it. likes him. Yeah, well now, and he, he's still kicked off the team. So, so what becomes of the mimic after that? I don't know. But he's certainly off the X Men. They have to. I, I love. I love the last Texas. line. I love the last line where the very last panel. He says, "Even if the mimic is gone forever, it was worth it. If Cal Rankin became a man, you the very white." <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Wow. <laughs> Gene's just like, so okay, they, let's go. So they <laughs> they clearly did his bar mitzvah off panel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I do wonder, there were a couple of things that surprised me in this issue, like when um they're fighting the super adaptoid and no one knows what the super adaptoid is or where he came from, and they're calling each other by their real names. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I feel like they did that a lot, though. Yeah. I've noticed yeah. it in other fights. They've yeah. also been told numerous times to cut that shit out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there's they. It even happens to a point in one of the books, and I don't think it's one we're talk we've talked about yet, where Scott actually says, "Hey, G or uh, Marvel Girl, <laughs> you know, you there, literally in the skirt, yeah, starts to call her Jean, and then like, you know, stops himself and calls her Marvel Girl." So I think that's kind of a cool little, you know, it's kind of a cool little character flaw that they throw in there. Um, except that in this case, I think it was just an oversight on the part of the writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I I have a note here about Professor X ejecting Cal Rankin, and he gives Cal all kinds of chances. Feels like Cal has some good in him. Cal only cares about himself. And he picks a fight after Xavier says not to. He is, he's he's a jerk. But you know what? He I started thinking about this. There is a lot about Cal Rankin that reminds me of Xavier. And uh, and I think if we are going to go ahead and put thoughts in characters' heads, maybe that's why he doesn't you know want to get rid of him because he feels like. There's a lot of there's a lot of Cal Rankin like you know he and Cal Rankin are very they're like the same kind of person. I but will say, I don't, I don't know that's that's possible, but I don't know. One of my favorite things in this issue is again going to the crossover portion of the Marvel books is on page fifteen. Mimic uses the Avengers secondary battle cry. Says, we've all got to go sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as the Avengers always say. That's or, right. 
Do they always say that? Wow. Apparently, according to Rick Jones, he would yeah. know. <laughs> of course he would. So um, is Super Adaptoid basically Marvel's Amazo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, what I find interesting is the Super Adaptoid has the powers of four of Marvel's Avengers. Okay. Wasp, Goliath, Captain America, and Hawkeye. Okay, so Goliath, which is yeah. basically like giant, you know, giant man. Um, and it, we don't see him grow or shrink. He's just 10 foot tall. Yeah. And, and his powers that he adapted from Hawkeye are that he has some really cool arrows. Well, that's Hawkeye's power. <laughs> but it's not a power. It's just a bunch of arrows. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I I have always liked Super Adaptoid. I just thought maybe he could be used better. Like how about adapting some other adventures powers? You know, such as Quicksilver, such as um oh god the Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, yeah. How about that. How about how about just doing two Avengers? Like picking up more of their powers and Hawk uh, and Hulk, and then maybe adapting Spider Man's powers too, or I don't know. Anyway, Charles. Well, I mean, Xavier. but I do. I I think overall we're pretty lucky because if if it hadn't been Hawkeye, we might have been stuck with Frisbee Golf Lad. <laughs> that, was, that would have been even worse. Squirrel Girl. Yeah. Oh, don't start with Squirrel Girl. <laughs> Squirrel girl. I wonder about the effectiveness of Super Adaptoid's wings. Yeah, they they look like the Beatles' wings. Remember that super villain, yeah. the Beatles? Yeah, they or I thought that they looked like the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> Just these big slabs. Thou shalt yeah. not lie. <laughs> well, I thought it was a fun story. Thought it was fun. Um, Xavier. Uh, takes he takes it hard when he kicks cal off the team like he takes it personal as like his own failure and that's part of the reason why i thought he, he did fail very... yeah. he did yeah. fail yeah. he absolutely did he but could have he... told them not to fight yeah and then gets... and then it, it wouldn't have escalated to where he kicked cal off the team but no he had to let them have it out but i feel like too xavier has a hard time admitting that he's human and that he could fail which is which is the whole Cal Rankin thing where he's like, I'm the best ever. And, you know, yeah, you're kicking me off the team. And he doesn't leave it. He comes back to give him some shit for it. Um, I just, you know, he has a hard time coming to the realization that he's a person and that he can fail. He's super arrogant. And, and Xavier, as Drew has often pointed out, even Xavier is very arrogant. That's, that's his secondary mutation. Uh, <laughs> or maybe that's his primary mutation. Well, the other the other thing about the Professor X scene there when he doesn't stop them from fighting is he then leaves and goes to do factor three experiments near that near that secret locked door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what sort of experiment? I don't understand what sort of experiments is he doing? Like he has to engage his whole brain and block out the rest of the world so he can look for factor three in a microscope 
I'm I just am very confused by the whole thing. It's just they're micronauts. That's what it is. Oh, micronauts uh, were badass. I don't care. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were, but they also fought the Professor X or the X Men. Yeah. Um, yeah. Xavier's got so many secrets here. Scott makes a comment at some point about how how it feels like Charles was holding something back. Okay. And and Scott's sympathetic with Charles. He knows that. Uh, that it had to be hard on him for to let Cal Cal Rankin go, but he knows that Charles is hiding something still, um, and maybe it's something besides that creepy locked door. Yeah, Charles is hiding a lot of shit, Scott. He's turning your brain into Jello pudding every it, night after you go to bed. He's, he's hiding this. He's got a window where he can look in and watch you sleep, and you don't uh, know about it. And these things are canon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, they really uh, are. They he's really just are. hiding the Subot from everybody. Oh, the Subot. Oh, yeah. the Subot. Wow. All right. Well, that is the issue. Um, tell me I about did, your thoughts. I did have yeah. one one thing about um, kind of going back to the the last issue. I read that issue and this issue back to back. The very last, you know, half page of the of the last issue. It's uh, when Banshee gets his thing. His his bomb removed from his head, and he's yeah. got this big goofy grin on his face, and he's super happy. And then the very first page of this book, it's Bobby on ice skates with a big goofy grin, same grin on his face. And like before I started reading everything, I was like, oh, cool, Banshee's out there ice skating with everybody. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I actually thought that uh, Cal Rankin was Cyclops. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. For there was like a brief moment when I looked at that first page, I was like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> I did feel like the redemption arc in the third act of this story was a little rushed. With yeah. Mimic. Yeah. It was pretty and, sudden. Pretty yeah. Sudden. Just out of nowhere. And because he's been so consistently dickish. Yeah. For all these issues. And then just all of a sudden, it's like, hey, hey, it's like uh, this is this is like professional wrestling level writing. I think this issue could have been done better as a two-parter, where if if it had ended with the X Men being defeated by uh, Super Adaptoid, and then the next issue was like it, it had spent more time on the X Men's fight with Super Adaptoid, and then it ended with them all lying you know, seemingly dead, perhaps. On the and the floor. Mimic has to save them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he can defeat all four of the X-Men. He could defeat all four of the Avengers at the same time in one super adaptive. I did, was curious, too, about the end of the book when, like, all of super adaptoids costume and accessories melted away. Did that mean he lost the powers of the four yes. Avengers? Yeah. And okay. he looked just like Iceman. He yeah. he he becomes kind of a a white, you know, uh, a white like featureless shape. Right. And yeah. Yeah. He saw. Yeah. Yeah. So he did say he lost his powers, but on the plus side, I landed in the water. Yeah. <laughs> so not. Yeah. So he can um, adapt. He can adapt a fish. That's right. He'll just now be the next Namor. Nemo. Yeah, he's the new Namor. <laughs> Yes. Or Nemo. <laughs> Nemo. Yeah, Nemo and Namor. He's got both their powers. Yeah. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Raj? 
I mean, it was an interesting villain to bring in from outside. And it was a pretty typical story in writing. I mean, you know, yeah. but it was fun. It was goofy. It was fun. So I, I've got a question of you. How does this, does this at all affect how you look at the X-Men that, that we saw growing up? Okay. Um, because you didn't read these issues way back then. No. Um, does it? I mean, I, I got to say, modern day, right now, I'm looking back at the X-Men from the 90s going, holy crap, you know, uh, there was so much that I thought was just crazy as far as the writing and, and choices that were made. And then back in the 90s, if we had looked at these issues, we kind of would have said the same thing. But how how does it affect how you look at the X-Men? It kind of doesn't because um, the stuff in the 90s was so drastically different. I can I can easily partition this early stuff. You know, it's like when you compare a book to a movie, mm -hmm. each one has its own special aspects to it. Well, it's almost like they're in two separate worlds. Does this even feel yeah. like the same continuity? Not really. Because this stuff is supposed to have happened to the X-Men. Well, I, you know, comic books and continuity, that's, that's a lot. That's a whole nother... <laughs> We could go into, we could talk about that for hours, but yeah. I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I just enjoy it. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun getaway. It's a fun read. You know, mm -hmm. I don't worry about all the little shit, you know, it's like at all the inconsistencies with their mutant powers and all that. It's like, whatever. Magnetism. There's the yeah, magnetism, right? I mean, they're just still trying to, the writers are trying to figure out everything and, I don't know. So, so I got a question for Rowan. Hmm. Um, I know how you feel about Cal Rankin. I mean, pretty much like we all do. He's he's just a big jerk, and I think and and you're supposed to feel that way. That's how he's written. How yeah. do you feel about him afterwards? Like, how do you feel about him now? He's he's no longer with the X Men. He's now a man. Now that he's discovered the power <laughs> of friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got to go out into the world and function. Well, it well be, the ending was so abrupt. I don't feel that much different about him. But he had that big goofy ass grin on his face that last panel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He has a grin on his face. His heart has grown two sizes. <laughs> <laughs> it it was it was it was very. It was very abrupt. I mean, I got it. I got what it was supposed to be. It didn't really sell me, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's It's been a few years. It's been a couple years now since I've read past this point. Um, I don't think Mimic shows up again in X-Men uh, until much later. Like, you know, there's that character, Forget-Me-Not. Uh, you guys remember him? He's the character that nobody can remember. And yeah. and there's a, a story. Yeah, we where, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a story <laughs> where Pete where he's he's talking and I think he comes across the mimic when he arrives at the X Mansion or he arrives I'm trying to remember what, what the context is, but he does bump into the mimic. And of course the mimic in modern day has a totally different outfit on and and it might have even been like a future story or an alternate timeline, but he 
you know, he's fighting a he's fighting the bad guys. He's a, he's a, a hero in this in this particular story, uh, and he's got like a green outfit with a big blue M on it instead of this stupid Jack Kirby outfit with you know the big M on it. Yeah, the big M on it. <laughs> his, <laughs> his crime fighting jammies. His crime fighting jammies. Uh, I think it's neat how he just decided when he first made that costume back in you know, X Men nineteen or whatever it was that he was just going to put a big M on it. You know, I'm going to make a costume and I'm going to put an M on it. Well, Magneto did that with his boat. Remember several issues back, that big freighter that he took over. Yeah, <laughs> and all his soldiers had the M on them for the Magneto. murder barge. The yeah. murder barge, as Shane would put it. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't Magneto though like have an M subtly hidden in his? He does. Yeah. Costume. Yep. Well, back in the day. Uh, Shane, your last thoughts? Um, it was fun. I dug it. Um, it was. There was some silliness, but overall, it was. I mean, it was entertaining. Like I said, the yeah. the third act felt rushed, but other than that, yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're getting into some some serious business here. I, I actually am part of me is dreading the fact that in a mere, I don't know, thirty issues or so, the X Men are gonna be canceled. And some of the stuff right before they get Dude, canceled come on, spoiler alert, no. Is so good. It's so good. The art's good, the story's good. And but what's exciting is that when they get canceled, we're going to talk about all kinds of books that are not the X-Men. Uh, <laughs> but it's going to be good stuff. So at any rate, I guess that's a wrap on these two issues. And I thank you guys for joining. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, we'll see you. Later, kids. Bye. Bye.